I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Oh, today's episode is going to be so fun. I love looking, I look at Instagram, I look at other podcasts. People always ask me, how do you find your guests? And I say, well, I usually look at, I listen to podcasts that I know would resonate with me, that I would probably want the guests that they have. I look at Instagram, people that, you know, I'm called to. And today's guest, I don't know if most of you, if you have followed me for the last two and a half years, have know who Royce Christian is. He was on my podcast, gosh, at the beginning. I don't even remember. But before, like in the first 50 episodes, I think. But he wrote the book, Scripting the Life You Want. We became really, really great friends. And he's helped me with some of the clients with my the kids that I've had. And he's just been such a huge supporter. Well, I looked at his story a couple of weeks ago, and it was, a, he was promoting this friend's book, Mona Sabani, who's coming on today, her book called Proof of Spiritual Phenomenon. And he had written on front of a screenshot of the Chelsea Handler podcast. So I'm thinking, okay, she's on the Chelsea Handler podcast. He's saying he's so proud of his friend. So I'm like, oh, I got to get this book and I need to connect with this woman because I know if Royce loves her, I will too. So I go down my deep dive of Mona and understand the story that I had to share with you. It is so amazing. I always, you know, uncovering people's magic. This is a story that you will be like on the edge of your seat with her, but she comes from a science background. It is so fascinating. I'm going to read her bio from her website. But she comes from this analytical, you know, type A, right? You know, all these like, you know, I'm not going to believe in spirituality. And then all of a sudden these turning points in her life happen and she starts to question and it's a fascinating. So I can't wait to bring her on and share her, but let me tell you about her. So Dr. Mona Shabani is a cognitive neuroscientist, researcher, entrepreneur, and author. After receiving her doctorate from the University of Southern California, Mona spent the next several years contributing her expertise in neuroscience to fields such as law, business, healthcare, venture capital, and research innovation centers. Then following what she describes as an existential crisis, everything changed. Her strict scientific perspective, frameworks of thinking, and process for truth-seeking were no longer satisfying the bigger questions she had about life. She became fascinated by exploring the crossroads of science and spirituality. In her new book, Proof of Spiritual Phenomena, a neuroscientist's discovery of the ineffable mysteries of the universe. She de- details her transformation from a diehard scientific materialistic to an open-minded spiritual seeker. Coming from a scientific background, she is she's coming from the, a scientific background, but she it is so fascinating. Mona has done brave work to push up against edges of her own deeply rooted paradigms and beliefs to ultimately reimagine her philosophies of how the world works. We can all learn from this type of thinking, deeply discerning, challenging beliefs, working your way through new information and leaning into the fact that there are many things that we don't understand. I think you will find Mona, her story so fascinating. And we're going through my two classes. We're about halfway through right now. And what I'm seeing is 
especially in the mo- the women that are taking the magic path, the triggers and the limiting beliefs and what we're going so deeply in is so powerful. When you understand that life is all a reflection of the thoughts that you think. In fact, let me give you this example today. I was getting gas and this woman was trying to get in front of me and I didn't know what to do. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to keep going. Well, I didn't really know what she was doing, but she ended up, you know, getting around and getting her gas and then was in front of me when we were driving out and she sticks her middle finger up out of the, the sunroof. And I was like, huh, that's funny. Isn't that interesting? Like what's going on with her? It didn't affect me because I wasn't triggered at all. But, you know, when you live life in a place of, isn't that interesting? Or, you know, what I'm teaching now and the magic path and raising confidence, but for the kids is to realize that if you can just rise above anything that is in your life, I mean, traffic, a woman flipping you off, anything, your husband, your kids, and just come from a higher perspective, knowing that it's all perfect. And when you come from love and you know that that is all there is, is love. Gosh, life is beautiful. I mean, I have these moments in the car with the girls and and they have a fight and I, I laugh and I think, really? We're all like, this is a reflection of you for reacting that way. So when you're with your kids and there is something, stop and say, look at what, why? Why do we have to react that way? Let's live in neutrality. I mean, that's where we're, I, that's my goal is to get these kids and parents and adults to live in this place of this neutrality, you know, like, gosh, if you could figure out how to keep that going, life will be uncovering more magic every day. I get on a tangent, but I do feel so highly strong about where we're at in this life. Mona will explain so much scientifically and what she found out and how the spiritual world, like we all are growing and expanding right now. And I really see this world in this huge shift. I mean, even if you look at my podcast and the the my guests a couple of weeks ago we were talking about being abducted by aliens the near death experience three of them i mean it, they, it's so evolving all the energy healing and you know it's so amazing to embrace where this world is going and be curious and question things and i mean this woman today that's all she does is she's a scientist she questions everything. So it'll be a fun conversation. And if you could remember to subscribe and rate the show, it would be so amazing. I, you know, the more, so the way podcasts work, when there's more people that subscribe, the better I can have finding guests. So the analytics are better, but I would appreciate that. I love reading the reviews. Thank you. And I love this podcast so much. And if you ever have any ideas or know anybody that you would want me to interview, please send them my way. And as always, I'm grateful for all of you coming every week and listening and sending me messages and emailing me. And anyway, this has just such a been such a fun um, experience. So get ready to be in awe of Mona Sabani. So without further ado, please welcome Mona Sabani to the show. Welcome, Mona. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I have been, like I told you before we hit record, been listening to Audible, your book, Proof of Spiritual Phenomenon, and learning about you through other podcasts that you've been on to promote now that you've just, the book just recently came out in August. And, you know, that's, it's about, you know, getting the word out and listening, but listening to your story. And I explained in the intro that our mutual friend, Royce Christian had his, on his Instagram story, had the Chelsea Handler podcast. Did you see that? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I thought, well, if he loves this girl, I'm going to love her. So that's really what, because you just know that when you resonate with someone like I do with yes, him, yes. I just, it was not even a question. I like, right. Wrote your name down. I have to start searching. What does he love about this woman? <laughs> uh, what's their connection? So that's where it started. And so I called this podcast and cover your magic. 
and you have so much magic. And what I love about you too, is that the science background and then all, you know, house, I mean, you're beyond, the, I mean, so smart <laughs> by the time the book is where I'm at now in like chapter 10, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to really sit down. I can't be walking and listening because it's so, these studies that you do are so amazing. But what I would love to share, I can't go without sharing the, when you say the old you would not like the new you <laughs> or would hate the new you. And I want people to get like, it's okay to venture out and learn something new and question things like you do and try to wonder why, why do I always, why have I thought this way? And all these other things are popping up to make me question that. And that's right. what you did and you still do it. So you're on this journey. You've, you're born on this planet to this family. What nationality? Persian. 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 You're Persian. You grew up with a Persian family, mom, but let's go to the coffee readings. I mean, you tell me where you want to start. <laughs> my story starts with, so I'm Persian, that's my cultural heritage. And then in, in our culture, as in many cultures around the world, we have a, a tradition of divination using, in our case, in my my family's case, it's using coffee grounds. So it's like thicker kind of coffee. And you drink it, you leave the grounds in the cup, flip it over, let it dry, and pictures emerge. And then if you are are lucky enough to have a reader, they can look at the images and kind of tell you, you know, intuit things about your past, present, or future. And my grandmother could do it. And my, she taught my, my mother how to do it. And this was always going on in the background of our home, but I never really, I never paid attention. I was also younger. Nobody offered me coffee. And it wasn't until <laughs> graduate school that I would come home on the weekends and my mom would make me coffee. And she would just absentmindedly pick up the cup and start describing what she would see. And, you know, I didn't really, I don't know if I, be, I didn't believe it, but it was <laughs> a bonding moment with my mom and I just let her do it. And then over time though, I started realizing that, yeah, the things that she would say would come true and they'd be really specific things. The, the thing that started to really get pique my interest and caused me to start writing down in detail the readings over the years was that she would see these really small details about situations that were very meaningful and significant to the situation, but that she never would have been able to guess. Usually she didn't even know what was going on. You know, like, let's say if it was something at work, like I don't come home and tell my mom everything, every drama okay. at work, but she would describe it perfectly, you know, and be like, there's this person that looks like this or whatever. And she would say some small detail that would be relevant and significant and meaningful and it would blow me away. And so mm -hmm. I started taking notes and I could never explain it with my science because there's no framework for that in our current scientific paradigm. So I never bothered to explain it or try to explain it. I just kept it separate in my mind. I mean, I think at the beginning of grad school, I was more interested in kind of thinking about oh, the universe. And like, what does this mean? But once you get into thick of it, you're too tired to think about right. anything other than what you're working on because you just want to graduate and get out of there. So, so yeah, I just stopped trying to figure it out. And then it wasn't until years later, maybe like three or four years after I graduated, when she would continue to, to read my coffee. And, but there were two big emotional events that happened for me where that caused me to take, like, look at this phenomenon more carefully. And one was I had, my mom kept seeing a bad news in my cup and which she usually not, you know, wouldn't say, or usually didn't even see bad news, but this one was like really bad. And so she huh. kept telling me about it for weeks and weeks, kind of like, okay, I don't want to panic you. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but just expect to get some bad news. And, and she wouldn't tell me much else. So I kind of lived in this terror for five weeks. And then I found out that one of our professors at USC was killed by one of the students in the program. So it was very, it was just a very unusual thing that happened. It's not very common, obviously. And the circumstances were unusual. And so after I found out, I called my mom back and I was like, oh, I think I know, I think I know what it was. And I told her and she was, and she said, yes, it was a, it was a death that I saw, but I didn't want to say, cause you know, it's like upsetting why upset you five weeks in advance right. or make you just worry. <laughs> yeah. 
but and and she said it was very unusual and she'd never seen anything like it before and and that was another reason she didn't want to say anything because the readings are symbolic so sometimes you don't know what the symbols mean until the event happens so I mean she knew it was a death for sure and she knew it was unusual but that's all and so anyway so that really shook me because it was like fine when she was, you know, predicting things that were small about right, right. my life or like my work life or whatever. But then this was a really big, this was a life or death thing. So it really upset me, you know, and I was, I was very curious about how that information could be out there somewhere in advance of the event happening. And because it was also, it seemed like a spontaneous um kind of spontaneous thing. And right. so it just, confounded me and made me really curious, but I was, I didn't start researching or, or reading or anything. Um, just so busy at the time, but then two years later, my mom saw this relationship coming and she saw it was going to be like a positive outcome and all that. And then we broke up. So then I didn't think it was positive. So, but she had all the you know details, right. By this point I was, I was out of grad school. I was feeling kind of purposeless. Like it's hard to go from working towards like a very clear goal, like your PhD to hitting the workforce. And I mean, maybe it was just the jobs that I had. I'm starting to realize because now I'm doing what I enjoy. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I felt very purposeless and I, I was very much like, well, so what is the meaning? Even though I, at the time thought our work was important, like we were still doing research and it was, but and it was about health and behavior, but for some reason, like something just wasn't clicking. And I just kept thinking like, what is the point of all this? So when that relationship ended, that was like the last, like, I think of it as like, a stool with legs. And that was like the last leg of the stool was knocked out. And so I was just like, it was my dark night of the soul. I was very just unhappy and sad. And are you holding on to the relationship because your mom, you felt like there was, that was because she told you it was coming. Are you like forgetting all the red flags? Yes. I think that happened a little bit. Um, but he was great. I don't want to talk about it too much, but he was great, but yes, there were a lot of, and I don't think it's, Again, it's not the coffee's fault. It's all me, right? Like if I had right. just <laughs> been more willing <laughs> to see, but it wasn't any of that because it was that I had already decided that the next person I date was going to save me. Like that had already happened in my mind. So it didn't even matter the rest of it. But yeah, maybe it contributed to it, but it definitely, you know, in the end, it jer- did turn out positively for me. It just, didn't it's feel for you, right? Right. Yeah. It just didn't feel positive in the moment. Right. <laughs> so that was, a, you know, but the, these were the kinds of things that I got interested in and kind of wanted to explore, like, what is the nature of these readings and the way that you interpret them and do things change or is there fate or destiny or, or what, you know, I was just kind of curious. And so I was in a pretty dark place isolating for a while but then my I have a group of girlfriends from childhood and one of them had gone through something similar and she went to she went and got a bunch of psychic readings to make herself feel better and she suggested that she's like well you got to go see this girl I know she's really good and I was like oh I'm not going to a psychic that's ridiculous but then you know my friends were multiple of them a few of them had gone to this lady and so they're like, no, let's go. It'll be fun. We can take notes and we can compare and see, you know, like whatever, we'll see. So we did this kind of pseudo, not experiment, but just this thing for ourselves where we went to, we went to one psychic, um, like back to back. And then we went to a bunch of different psychics at once. And then we returned over time. And then we would swap readings just to see if um, they would make sense for each of us. Like if the things that they said were vague in general, like, oh, you're one door is closing and another is opening or something like that. Like that would, we wouldn't think it was real, but they were all very specific to each of us. Wow. <laughs> and so we're like, huh, interesting. And I thought it was interesting, but again, I, I didn't dive into it or anything. And then it was, I was listening to Chelsea Handler's 2019 book, uh, Life Will Be the Death of Me. And she made a podcast, a, a like limited series podcast and I was listening to it and it was not about any of the stuff. It was about personality and therapy and the Enneagram and things like that. And then randomly one of her episodes, she had Laura Lynn Jackson on, who's a psychic medium. And Laura Lynn Jackson starts talking about this spiritual framework where, or this is school, you come to learn lessons, you have soul groups and all that. And then 
I remembered that the intuitives that I had gone and seen and got readings from, they had mentioned those things too. But since I didn't believe in those things, I just ignored it and right. wrote it down, but I never, it never registered in my mind what they were saying. Yeah. And so when I heard Lynn Jackson describing it, I was like, whoa, this sounds familiar. Oh, this is what the intuitive said. And so I wrote down what she was saying because I'd never heard of it before. And then I went back to the intuitive readings to see if they made more sense now and that they did. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. I see what I was missing. And I was like, oh, this totally okay. went over my head when she was telling me <laughs> right. this reading. And then Laurel and Jackson also said there were like two other things. This podcast was very transformational for me. Yes, <laughs> serendipitous. I, know. I love it. Yeah. She talks about her and Chelsea also mentioned Many Lives, Many Masters, the book by Brian Weiss. But, and so I ordered that. And then she, Laura Lynn also said she let works with scientists to let them measure her brain waves. So she mentions this research center. So I wrote all that down, ordered the book. It came. I didn't even know what it was about. And I read it. And then the book was kind of shook my worldview a little bit. And that's when it really started. So it was very, very casual up until I read the book. And then when I read Many Lives, Many Masters, he describes the spiritual framework again, but he's like this well-credentialed, you know, well-heeled psychiatrist from Yale and Columbia, chief of psychiatry, atheist, doesn't believe in anything paranormal and stumbles across past life regression in one of his patients. And then she also channels these master spirits during her sessions as she doesn't remember, but they're the ones who convey to him this spiritual framework. And so I remember when I read the book, I was just like, what am I reading? This is insane. But it was like the third time I was hearing it. And now it was from a psychiatrist. And so I just thought, this is really weird. And so I got curious and, and just read a bunch of all of his books. And I found other past life regression books and read them, the entire literature. And then that led me into into other avenues, like the research on reincarnation and near-death experiences. And there's a lot of books that combine all this evidence together. So I just hit those. And then when I got tired of reading, because I had so many questions, even as I was reading, you know, I was like, oh, but what about this? I was like, I wish I could just talk to someone. Then I thought I would go back and interview the intuitives that I had gotten to know (laughs) over the previous year, because I was interested in their experience, their personal experience too. And then I started having an identity crisis, you know, as a scientist. And so then I started interviewing my scientist colleagues to be like, do you believe in anything spiritual? What do you think about paranormal phenomena? Do you think we have it all figured out, you know? And so I just started this interview project where I would reach out to people I knew. It started with people I know. And then as I would read, I would start reaching out to the people's books, the the people who wrote the books that I was reading. And then eventually I, I stumbled onto this like not, they're not a group, but it was a group of people who knew each other, who were like affiliated with the government or the military or various consulting groups who are interested in consciousness as like the connecting thing between all these things. And then that's, that's when everything took a really big turning point for me. Cause I'm like, Oh, consciousness. That's I'm a neuroscientist. Right. <laughs> oh my relate. gosh. Yeah. You know, na- now I don't have speaking. To, yeah. Like now I don't have to focus on just the paranormal and spirits. And now you're talking my language. And so right. then, then I really dug in. Did you ever get a past life regression during that time? I did. I did. Yeah. I found a a therapist. I've had a few. I thought it was, it was interesting. I didn't think it was going to work for me, but I've been meditating for years. So I'm very good at getting into a meditative state and watching images that come into my mind. And so I did get into meditative state and it was just surprised me because she would ask questions and images would just come. And I didn't expect them to, but she would ask something and I would just tell her what I was seeing. And it was this Irish farm life from like the 1800s or something. And it was very, very vivid. So I tell this whole story. And at the end, once the soul leaves the body, you go into this like afterlife situation where you meet with the souls of the other people in your life. And my therapist is like, hey, what are you saying to them? And what are they saying to you? And up to that point, I thought I had just created like a fantasy story. But then I started answering her, like telling her what I was saying to them and what they were saying to me. And then I started like weeping. Like I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth because I was crying so hard. Oh and, wow! And like the emotion was coming from like my stomach or like it came from my body, not my mind. Like I, I didn't think of something, get sad and start crying. Like my body was doing right. a little, it was emotional catharsis of some sort. And then my brain was like, what's happening? <laughs> right. And so, yeah. And then after the session, Yep. My therapist said, 
the reason we think it's real is because of the amount of emotion that gets Mm -hmm. released. Because if I asked you to make up a story and tell it to me, you normally don't have that kind of deep emotional catharsis. So I don't know. I, I mean, I've read a lot about it. I feel like a lot of it is true. Part of it is metaphor, but I also think as a healing modality, it doesn't matter. I think it's very healing. So right. I think it's a great modality. I've done it too a few times where the same thing where I feel like I'm making it up Yeah, and I don't know where it's coming from, but I keep talking and then <laughs> I get to this place of going, I, I see it. And then I'm, I'm understanding time. It's like all of this, the energy of a person, I connect mm-hmm. with that. And I, you know, it's like really, and yeah, healing. Do I believe, you know, like I don't look at it as I'm making it up anymore as right. for sure, mm-hmm. but it is something that I now see as a reflection of my life now. Mm-hmm. Like I see, oh, this is why I'm always interested in helping children or I've always been a teacher oh my gosh, I've been a teacher like in the last five lives I went through where I was this teacher. So Mm -hmm. did you see anything that reminded you of what you, your passions are now from the past life that you've had? Some things. Yeah. Not the Irish one, but the other ones I've had. Yeah. Like I'm very social and well, I used to be (laughs) before COVID, but I, I used to be very social and I would have a host a lot and I would, you know, connect a lot of different groups. And then I, in one of my lives, it seemed like I was like, it played that role, played a similar role in a very, very old lifetime. And then in one, I was very witchy and I consider myself, well, I don't know, I guess it depends on your definition of witchy, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) just in touch with nature is really more what I saw it as, but yeah. And I, I love nature. So (laughs) it was very, that, so that kind of, that resonated. Yeah. There's lots of little things that you see in the life, the lives that you're like, Oh, that's, you know, for example, that Irish life, I just kept commenting apparently that I was cold. And then when I came out, my therapist asked, she's like, Oh, do you have a thing about being cold or something? And I was like, Oh my God, I get cold very easily. And like people are always making fun of me. And if we, if I or go anywhere, you know, with whoever I'm with, they'll be like, please make sure you bring a cardigan. So funny. <laughs> You're going to get cold. So funny. Yeah. So I want to talk, share the story about when you asked, because I'm all about signs and I always, I tell my girls, let's find a sign today. What's our sign? You know, what, what is it going to show us? What are we looking? It's always, so we keep, we're present in the moment. We're yes. looking instead of looking down, we're like looking at nature. We're looking at butterflies or hummingbirds or rainbows or whatever it is, right? It could be anything. I mean, usually here's some of the things I pick, but you have this moment where you're like, I'm going to like prove, let's see if this works. Like as a scientist, you know, like in a scientist mind, you're going to try to work and to see if this, all the stuff that you're learning is really true. I mean, that's really your quest. You're on now. Like I feel like you're, it's an ongoing um, journey. Yes. And yeah, I tell one of the, I tell the the first, the first most significant one in the book, and I'll, I'll tell it right now, but um, that was one of the ways that convinced me was continuing to ask for signs. And I know that's in the literature generally, but for me, that I think that definitely was influenced from that podcast I heard with Laurel and Jackson. Like she always talks, well, one of her books is called Signs. <laughs> so, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. But so for this one, it was just the beginning, the very beginning. I think I had only read Many Lives, Many Masters at that point, And I was like, okay, I'll ask for signs during my meditations in the morning. But then I would forget the signs that I chose. (laughs) And I just couldn't think of like clever ones or I don't know, whatever. And I, so I tried for a while and I was like, oh, this is so silly. I need to think of better signs. But then one day I thought, well, what if I just, okay. I was like, and this, I was starting to go back and forth between believing it, not believing it. I mean, I hadn't started the whole research journey yet. So it was kind of the, should I even bother spending any time on this or not question? That's what was going on. And then, so I asked the universe, I said, well, I'm just gonna, if you want me to believe in this stuff (laughs) or, you know, continue reading, then I need a really big sign. And I, I need one that like you choose that is proves to me the meaningfulness of this topic in my life. And it has to be so big that I cannot miss it. So it can't be like a butterfly on my patio because I'm going to miss that for sure. So I set that intention and then 
in the middle of the week, like Wednesday or something. And then Friday or Saturday night, I was driving with my friends to um, a restaurant for a friend's birthday and half of our friends were already there. So they called me on the way when we were, we were like very close. We we're almost there. And they called me and they're like, how far are you away from the restaurant? And I was like, I'm only like five minutes away. What's going on? And they're like, you're never going to believe who's here. Chelsea Handler. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Just had, actually, I was so in my head. Like I wasn't even at the dinner <laughs> Right. <laughs> from the moment they called me to the moment I got there and I saw her there. And like the whole time I was in my head, like, oh my God, this is so weird. I can't believe this. I had like goosebumps. I couldn't believe it. You know, I just, I was in shock and awe really <laughs> of it. And, you know, we don't want to bother her. We, but we ended up all leaving the restaurant at the same time. And so we told her that we loved her book because we had all read it and we just kind of fangirled out, but <laughs> you didn't say you were my sign. <laughs> so I, tell her. no, I didn't tell her, but I, apparently I just found this old, th- I went home and sent her a message saying that we had um, seen her and that we, we didn't want to bother her. And um, I think I mentioned, oh, I just, because of you read many lives, many masters and it's already, and I think I wrote like, I'm a skeptic. I'm a neuroscientist. Right. <laughs> I just read the book, but it's already opened my thinking a little bit. So it was actually interesting to find that old message because, well, first of all, I don't remember sending it, but it was funny to see how I described it to her at the time. So where you're at now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was very meaningful night, the whole thing. Oh, geez. Are you kidding? (laughs) But she even had the moment where she was talking because she's skeptical. And I know that's probably why you were attracted to even listening to her podcast or, you know, you know, that was, you had that connection with her. Mm -hmm. But when she has the moment of getting into the airplane and the book that she has in front of her seat is many lives, many masters. Like what the heck is that? Yeah, I know. I love that story. I think it's such a good story. And that's sort of what, partly what propelled me to get the book. It's she's having dinner with a friend in New York, I think. And they get an argument at dinner because a friend is telling her to read the book and it's so interesting and tell, describing the concepts behind it. And she gets in a fight saying, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. It doesn't exist. I'm never going to read that. Leaves the dinner, gets on a plane to fly to LA and the book, Many Lives and Masters is sitting in her, like, yeah, in the um, pocket in the seat in front of her on the plane. So then she reads it because it's a short book and a long flight. And then by the time she lands, I think she says, she was like, everyone has to read this book. <laughs> I thought it was oh, such a funny. good story. Oh, that's such a great story. What was your connection with Royce? Because you do talk about him in your book and you talk about how that even was a magical moment and where it opened your eyes to. Yeah, it was. Like you um, kind of questioned it and you kind of went forward. Like I kind of will take one and then I'll see if it, you know. So tell yeah. me that connection. With, with Royce. So I think it was right. It was the beginning of my journey. I was just doing interviews mostly at this point, And I hadn't even hit the, the meat of the interviews, like talking to people doing research yet. It was mostly scientist friends and psychics. And then I was listening to one of my, one of the podcasts I have on rotation and they interviewed him about his book, Scripting the Life You Want. And he talked about it's about manifestation, but he was talking about bridging science and spirituality. And he was talking about how his book has a lot of neuroscience in it and talks about uh, the neuroscience of manifesting, which we don't call it that in neuroscience, but I'm super familiar with, of you know, fine-tuning your filters to help achieve your goals. So everything he said and talked about, I was already like, oh yes. I'm like, oh, this is so great. Like to hear someone be familiar with the science and talk about manifesting your goals in this way. But the use of the two words, science and spirituality together for some reason, just, I caught my attention, maybe just because of where I was in the journey. And so I looked him up and saw he was doing this online workshop. This was right in the beginning of COVID. And so I signed up for it because literally so bored, nothing to do. Right. <laughs> it was like April, 2020. Um, and well, plus I thought it would be great. I was like loving his, I ordered his book. I loved it. And so I joined, um, it was a three-part workshop and I joined the first one and the whole time he kept talking about neuroscience. So when we got off and before the second one, I thought, you know, I just feel disingenuous. I feel like I should tell him I'm a neuroscientist and just tell him I'm in the class because it just felt weird not to, for some reason, it was a small class. It was like 20 to 30 people. And so, yeah, so I I just emailed him and said, you know, got your book, I'm in your class, just FYI, blah, blah, blah. And he wrote back immediately. And 
at first it was funny because the first maybe like two, three emails were very like formal, casual, whatever. And then there was just like a, oh, the second, then we had the second class. And then it was like, it was just the two of us in the class. We had a total like connecting moment where we were like old best friends that had been reunited and it was like, no one else was there. And we just, hit it off. And he emailed me immediately after and was like, Oh my God, I feel like I've known you forever. Like, I know we said we would set up a call in a few weeks, but let's just talk this week, (laughs) you know? And so we did. And then, yeah, we just, we've been friends who cannot have short phone calls (laughs) ever, (laughs) (laughs) ever since then. And it's been very magical. And he's, I mean, he's brought a lot to, you know, helped me. He's brought a lot of knowledge that I don't have about the spiritual world. So, you know, he's been an amazing friend to have. Yeah. The part that was neat was when you said to, in the book was when he said to you, I'm like, I'm excited to get to know you better or reconnect. And you wouldn't have understood when he said that if you weren't the science mind of Mona wouldn't have got that. Yeah. Yeah. He said something like, again, like he was referring to our souls, like being old friends from previous lives. And yeah, I was like, oh, my old self wouldn't have even, I maybe wouldn't have even registered it, or I would have thought it was a mistake, or I definitely just wouldn't have understood what he was saying. But when I read it, I was like, oh my God, I know what he means. And I felt that way with him. It felt that way. Very like, yeah, it feels like we're old friends. Like I've known him forever. So it's like, we're just reconnecting. (laughs) And yeah, so it's very interesting. And it was nice to have that experience. I think so soon after reading all of that, those like, because in a lot of the past life regression literature talks about that, like the people you meet in your life that you just click with immediately, which by the way, is one of the reasons I was interested in neuroscience when I was young, because I was interested in why some people get along so well and why some people don't and and how when you enter certain groups, the dynamics change or you change based on the group you're entering. So I've always been interested in those things. So it was a really interesting moment for me to have, as I've been reading this new literature about souls and and whatnot, and then to have this experience where we just meet the stranger, I don't even know, on Zoom, much much less COVID. And we have this immediate instant connection. Yeah, so it was, it was like another validation almost. Yeah. I felt that way with him too. And I think when I saw your name and I, it was like, when I say, I don't question things when I, I know that he loves you. Like I always know, like when I have that connection, I almost had, I mean, I, I wanted to say, Oh, I just feel so good about this. Like I, it wasn't even like, Oh, Royce, do you mind? Or can you connect me? It wasn't even like that. I, yeah. That didn't even enter my mind. It was like, Oh, I'm going to connect with her. We're part of the same soul family. Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just, it was just natural. And I, I love looking at life in that way. And tell me, so you were on this journey, you're doing your interviews with the psychics and the science, you know, like you're really diving deep and trying to figure out like, is, is this where I'm going? Like, think of what you have a PhD and like, you know, like you went to school, USC, like you really were serious about that's not, that's the cool thing that I love. That is so fascinating to me about you is you're so far in that, but you to even have that woke up moment, that pivotal moment, like when your mom did that or when that happened and saying, wow, there is truth to this. There mm. is something because yeah. you're so, I mean, into this near, I mean, you're really deep. <laughs> Yeah. You're way beyond um, me. Like you're so smug. like, whoa. So yeah. here we you. go well, into this, into this little tiptoe. Are you tiptoeing? Do you feel like, or are you really, I'm going to go all in and see what happens. At first it was tiptoeing. And then I think with the interviews, it was like a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I think when I hit the people who do this kind of research or have seen things, that they shared with me. And then I started to look at consciousness as the underlying thing. That's when I would say my worldview started to flip because I think before that it's, it's a little bit like, how do I fit this into my materialist worldview? There may for psychic phenomena, which is, it could be true that there's some sort of physical signal that we can't measure yet. Or for spirits, there's some other explanation or whatever. Like you can still try to fit it in your old worldview. But then there comes a point when you've read so much or you finally read a different 
proposed worldview where, you know, something like, well, what if matter isn't the foundational principle of the universe, what a consciousness is, you know, then all these unexplained phenomena can be explained. When you start reading things like that, then I started, which at first was, it, it sounds easy, but it was not easy for me mentally because <laughs> I built a whole identity and ego and life around being a very serious and smart scientist. Yes, <laughs> so it was, you are. yeah. And I felt like I was betraying that or like right. my, I wasn't going to be that anymore. And, and like you said, at the beginning, when I say old me would have hated new me, I meant it. <laughs> like I, I was, you know, looked down on people who didn't basically believe in what I believed in, but to be fair to old me, <laughs> that kind of is the Western worldview is that you either adopt and and idolize scientific materialism. And if you don't, then you are simple-minded, primitive, delusional. You subscribe to magical thinking. And that's the way our culture deals with it. And it takes a lot of self-reflection and a lot of alternative worldviews and alternative evidence to flip that. And that's what would happen for me, but it took a long time and a great effort. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at the your mom's part in your journey, I know, I mean, you were atheist, you didn't have any belief, you agnostic when you really realize like, I'm just not going to say anything. Like you're just neutral. Yes. I was agnostic. Agnostic. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here we are agnostic. We have our mother. So I'm looking at it from a soul's perspective. You know, we choose our mothers, we choose our family, we choose our parents. That's in my belief. So when I'm reading your book and I'm listening and I'm thinking, okay, her soul is very science-based. Her mom and her grandmother have this spiritual in a way, but still not, you're not going to church and anything like that. You're not raised at all with any kind of spirit. I mean, my mom is spiritual, but she never forced us to be spiritual. So yeah, no, no religion, no organized religion really. Yeah. But you know, then I think, okay, you chose her to open this whole new, like to be in this body at this time on this planet to explore and expand your mind. Like she's part of that yeah. catapults to you into this new expansion. Cause I like the only reason why we chose to come here is to expand. Right. And so she took you to this pivot in your life to show you like, there's so much more Mona and you came and you, and she did that for you. Like what a gift. Yeah. 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 And it was, it opened a new level to our relationship too, because yeah, my mom was always in the background of our, you know, child talking about her dreams and she had a dream and it means this and that. And my brother and I would be rolling our eyes like, oh my God, oh my her dreams. That's my house with my <laughs> girls. They're rolling their eyes. Oh, mom had another dream. Yeah. <laughs> they roll so, their eyes. Yeah. My mom had like a, a dream journal and we'd be like, oh my God, you know, it's funny looking back on that now, but now it's like, now if I have a dream, I call my mom. <laughs> like, right. Like the dream I had. And she loves, you know, and she'll be like, write it down and, you know, observe what happens and find the symbols and whatever. And now I listen eagerly <laughs> to see, because yeah, it's like knowledge. It's wisdom really from her mom and her, her whole lineage really that's passed down that yes, there's a lot of books and stuff available now, but obviously turning, if you have gifts and you have other people in your family who have gifts, it makes sense to talk to them and connect with them over it because they're the closest to you, right? Genetically, spiritually, whatever. Right. You know, when science, when you talk of time, it's all linear. Where do you start in your life seeing time differently? Do you start seeing like, oh, you do these past lives, you start seeing time as, tell me that, because I'm so fascinated by time and how people, what they, how they describe it. Yeah. Time is a mystery to me. It's one of the, I think, hardest things for me and other materialists. Well, I'm not a materialist anymore, but (laughs) people who are materialists, because it's something that we seem to perceive as going forward. And so it's like, you have to overcome your perception. Same with, um, seeing things that other people cannot see or perceiving things other people cannot perceive. It's real for you, but for somebody who cannot perceive it, 
to convince them otherwise, it's hard, right? Because people right. basically, you know, you know what your experiences are and those are the things that resonate the best with you. And so time is a hard one to get my mind around. I leave it to the physicists to figure it out. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> so I don't really have a good answer. I, I believe that it's, well, actually I did read some, I can't cite the physicists, but I remember first reading that from the spiritual literature, like the intuitive saying, they would, they would say this, even when I just went for readings and I didn't read anything, they'd always say, well, there's no time on the other side. So, and I'd be like, what the hell does that mean? There's no time on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? We're all in one universe. But then I think when I started digging into the more, because um, there's a lot of scientists who have tried to, and are physicists who are trying to model this, model out what does the universe made of consciousness look like? What is, you know, they're trying to do the math behind it. So once I hit that literature, I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't understand it. But as long as I know that other people, physicists are like, that the door is open to those kinds of models, then cool. And even if it's not, you know, I don't, I don't think that we have to have everything figured out anymore, that anything's possible, but it's definitely nice to think, okay, well, this thing you have, you're hearing from phenomenologically from these intuitives, you can all, you know, you also have exploration of that through actual uh, like theories and math from physicists. So I don't know. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. I think for our it, human it brains. Is. I always usually ask that question because it's just so I've really at the beginning, like a year ago, I was really trying to wrap my head around it. It's like, it, there's, it's all happening at once. Okay. We're all one. Yep. I know that, you know, we're all, how can we change the future? There is no future. It's happening right now. You know, like there's so many. Right. Yes. I have started thinking of it in that way. And I would say before, I think that's newer for me. So I think in the beginning I was very much like, oh, okay, past lives and what's my current karma. Or I was very, that was like my limited, cause I, that was the literature I read first. So that was my limited understanding. And mostly it was in the context of, okay, if I get this intuitive reading and they tell me an outcome, what is the lesson I have to learn from it? And then right. over time, yeah, I started reading this other literature and I thought, oh, okay, actually yeah, it's all happening at once. Like um, if it's, if there's no, if it's all one, then in my head, it wasn't linear either. And it was like, oh, every moment is a new moment. And, um, but it's still hard because our brains work in time. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's more exciting because there's this creative potential, I think. And and that's, that's nice. That's a nice thing. Yes, I love, yes, I do. I, it's, I'm in that, but I think of you, like you talk about the books you read, you cite the people that you've you've studied, but what, how long do you, do you spend all day long doing that? Is that your like passion? Oh yeah. I read a lot. (laughs) I have a lot of books and I read them. I read a couple at once and I have them spread out. (laughs) So if I go to different locations, my place, on the coffee table. I sit down for a few minutes. There'll be a book there, one on the dining table, one in my bedroom so that wherever I am, I can just pick it up and read. What's right now are you reading? What books do you? I'm reading the the dining table one is the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide by Jim Fadiman. And I just finished Bernard Biteman's Meaningful Coincidences. He's a psychiatrist who writes about synchronicities and coincidences. That was an excellent book. Yeah. That sounds amazing. My book is here, but yes. <laughs> I don't have to read that I, one again. I love that it's right there. So before I go, I want to go into your book and where that came from. But when you you have a newsletter that talks about psychedelics, like you're interested in that. I was listening to, I was reading that newsletter and then I was listening to a podcast that you were on talking about what you really studied that. Because I've had a lot of guests that have done the ayahuasca, the mm-hmm. psilocybin, all that and explaining their we were talking about to one person that after three sessions of long, the mushroom therapy or medicine or whatever, they've been cured of depression or, you know, they don't have to take that medicine forever. But why is that psychedelics so interesting to you? So my book talks, so because uh, it's part of the um, story and this is how I've only recently come to finally find a way to hopefully succinctly describe it. But, you know, in the book, I talk about past life regressions. So it's like, I'm going through opening the process of opening my mind to spiritual phenomena and psychic phenomena in the book. But along the way, I'm having an identity crisis and trying to heal myself from all the reasons 
that I ended up in this crisis in, in the first place that contributed to it. And so along the way, like I try past life regression, I try psychedelics because I'll explain in a minute. And then I didn't write all of this in the book, but I tried a lot of other modalities like breath work and emotional freedom tapping and just explored a lot of different ways. And the reason I even got into those is because a lot of these, these literatures intersect with each other. And these, because when you read about the psychic phenomena, they'll say that people who get the best results or people who kind of go into like a meditative, like relaxed state, they like become one with the thing they're trying to connect with. If you, even for intuitive readings, you know, they usually say that they're like, oh, I'm going into my, whatever they'll say, theta state or whatever. Right. And so when I was speaking to some of the people I was speaking to the higher level people, they're the ones who said, have you looked at psychedelics? I don't know if you know this, but a lot of paranormal things can happen on psychedelics. And so I went to look, read, read about it. Cause I've never, I had never even thought about psychedelics. I didn't care about them at all. And that's when I was like, oh my God, it became like Alice in Wonderland. I was just so focused on psychedelics for a, for a good <laughs> few weeks. I got every paper, every book I could. And it was true. He was right. And people, there's this long history, especially from the 50s, 60s, and 70s before they were banned of lots of reports of people have telepathy or like when you're in a session with people feeling like, not even feel like knowing what the other person is thinking, knowing, feeling each other's emotions, but also getting vision, precognitive visions that are true. A lot of people who do ayahuasca often report, you know, they'll see a family member and then they find out later that that family member died and they had no reason to think that that person was, was going to die. So like people who'd spontaneously die, a family member, they, family member would be the middle of the jungle doing ayahuasca, totally unaware. And then they would have a vision while doing the trip. And so I've came to realize that these altered states of consciousness, whether it's psychedelics or breath work or meditation or whatever they allow, they're actually where personal healing intersects with the spiritual and with the quote unquote paranormal or the transpersonal. So they're actually where all those things come together. And I think psychedelics, I just, um, I think it's interesting because it's like going through a renaissance now and being re-energized in Western culture. And what I think is interesting and predictable is that they're trying to strip away, like they're trying to find, see, can we, can we get a chemical substitute to, to a psychedelic where you can get the healing effect without the trip? Or can we do it outside of the context of traditional rituals? But we unclear, you know, hopefully people will do studies to examine that, but it's such a Western way. I just think it's like an interesting case study on how the West would like to just force everything into its own box and framework. But I think that since psychedelics have a kind of a foot in the door because they've actually been fast-tracked by the FDA for depression and PTSD, that not only are they a foot in the door for mental health, but it's a foot in the door for spirituality and right. for the transpersonal because everyone who does these things will come out transformed and they will have, not everyone, but most, you know, a lot of people do come out having touched that side of reality and they're changed forever. So right. that's why I think it's really an interesting time and an interesting topic. And you have done them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what kind? I've psilocybin. LSD and I did five MEO DMT and I think that's it. Yeah. So what, tell me what your experience, cause you know what it called me like two years ago, maybe three years ago. I forget. I was listening to something and I remember Rhythmia. Have you heard of Rhythmia in Costa Rica? Uh, is it a retreat? Yeah. They do ayahuasca there. And I was yeah. like, Oh, I come, I'm listening to this podcast. And I'm like, Richard, I'm going to go to Costa Rica. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my, I was so, it was calling me, you know, they always say mm -hmm. like, if it's calling yeah. you, you yes. know, and then I started hearing the throwing up and people in there and it, like, it just all scared me. And I'm not, I've never done drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, I've not, I don't, it's like a feeling of, I don't know if I want to get that feeling. And then I've interviewed people that, you know, have done the cactus. I forget Stephen Shaw oh, was on mm -hmm. my, what Mescaline. is that called? Mescaline. And he was saying that doesn't make you have those effects. And it, it cured him of PTSD. When he said mm -hmm. that, I was like, oh, he just had this terrible reoccurring PTSD. And he, yeah. that was his answer. But yeah. tell me what your experience, because I'd love to. There's a lot to say, but basically the psychedelics. So just the, from the therapeutic standpoint, 
all they do is allow you to access things that normally your conscious mind suppresses. Your conscious mind like doesn't want you to feel pain or be sad. So it tries to keep all those, you know, it, it actually directs your behavior to avoid pain, right? That's why we have all these weird behaviors that we do right. that we acquire over our lifetimes. And really what the psychedelics do is help get that out of the way so you can get to more easily the unconscious things that are that need to be healed, that are traumas that have been suppressed for a long time. That's why it's important though to do it usually in a con either a ceremonial or a therapeutic right. context, because if those things come up and you're not in a situ and you're not in a good situation set and setting, you're not with someone who can support you, suddenly your traumas are right there and you're not going to be supported. So it's super important to have an experienced guide with you. But that's from the therapeutic aspect. And that's usually why, why people do it. So it's great in that way. It just facilitates that. So as long as you have a guide who can help you through that, then you're good to go. I haven't done ayahuasca. I had similar concerns. It does not <laughs> sound pleasant, yeah. but it also, from the things I've read, it does seem to be the most healing, but they're all very good. And it just depends on dose and what you're looking for. But so for LSD, LSD was really well studied in the fifties to the seventies by psychiatrists. And they actually wrote this LSD handbook that I read before I did it. And oh, wow. um, it's for therapists. And so it walks them through the entire experience for them and for the patient. And they tell them you can have your patient write a list of questions beforehand, um, self-reflection questions. And then, you know, a couple hours into the trip when they're not so um, high, you can have them look at the questions and their conscious mind is out of the way and they'll, they'll get oh, answers from cool. themselves immediately. And that's what I did. So I wrote questions. I took out LSD. And then a few hours later, I looked at my questions and I got like immediate answers. And the interesting thing about psychedelics is not that it's a thought, it's like an understanding. It's like you you understand completely with your whole being what the issue is or has been for you. So they're very, very healing, but they definitely should be. They call it a container. There has to be a safe, a safe right. container and a good guide. But yeah, it just, I mean, I think they're great. Yeah. So it's something that you would use as a practice, like you would continually do that to keep opening and yeah. Like, I mean, I think over a lifetime, the thing with them is that they last for, for a long time, right? They're like, like LSD lasts for 12 hours. Psilocybin lasts for six to eight hours. So you have to have like a whole a full day and the day after sometimes to recover. So it's a little bit time constraint, but yeah, I mean, I, I think of them as tools in my toolbox forever right. to come back to time and again, for sure. They're of course not appropriate for everyone. You know, if you have a serious medical or heart condition, you know, you have to make sure you, if you're going to choose a retreat right. or something, make sure they screen for all of that because you don't, but they're not addictive. I think if there's been any reports, there's very few reports of anyone passing away from or having very adverse effects, but there's always a risk, right? With everything. So, right. With the old you, Mona, look at the new you doing that. Like she's crazy. Yeah, I used. I mean, I had friends in graduate school who would do shrooms. They would go to the desert and do shrooms, and I remember, yeah, they would invite me, and I was like, "No, why would I do that? That's insane! <laughs> like, I don't oh, want funny. to." But the funny thing is, I used to say I don't want to hallucinate, but you don't even necessarily hallucinate. I mean, it's just it's again, it's all about dose, <laughs> dose right. set and setting. So doing it right in the setting. Yeah. So as we end our beautiful hour that I loved, and could continue. So you wrote your book. Let's kind of go there and, and talk about where we can find you, your website, what yes. you're doing now. Where are we at our, in this journey? My newsletter and my links to my book and all that are on my website, which is monasabaniphd.com. I do a lot of various things, consulting. I write the newsletter. I've been helping the Institute of Noetic Sciences. I write one of their blogs once a month. And I have a, a company with two friends. So <laughs> I'm doing a lot do? of different things. Yeah. Like, it's a, te it's technology though. It's nothing related to this. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. And I started writing a second book and I'm thinking of, uh, of some other things, but it's all kind of jumbled in my head at the moment, but I'm thinking ahead of what to do next. And one thing I am thinking of doing is 
and I'm in the process of starting it with, with one of my, actually, I've had neuroscientists reach out to me who are excited to, you know, talk about their experiences with someone finally, with one of these people were thinking about putting together a retreat where not like a long retreat, just like a day or something where we could invite scientists to come. And in the book, I ask that I invite them to engage the mystical or spiritual in whatever way they want. But we were thinking, what if we could organize a one day retreat where we help them do that? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Cool. yeah, so we were trying to put that together. Oh, I love it. I love your story. You're amazing. Everyone go find Mona. All the links will be in the show notes to um, connect with her. And where do you see yourself in five years? I don't even, what do you see? Like, where's Mona? You know, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done that my whole life. And Oh, cool. I'm glad I, I asked you. I know I'm taking a break from that, but Good. hopefully I'm doing something that I love and I feel fulfilled doing it. <laughs> yes. And you know what? It's living in the moment. You know, we, there's no better way to live than looking, you know, and we have these like vision boards, you know, I, we do that, but you know, it's like living in the moment, having an awareness Mm -hmm. of your, you know, the oneness of who you are and your vibration and living in that place and seeing the magic every day and being in nature and looking at the trees or the butterflies, that's life. That's love and being that love for, for life, for being in this body. Yeah. So I'm trying to embody that and be (laughs) just in the present. Yeah. Good. I love that answer. On that note, I will hopefully meet you again one day. I know we know each other. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, always look for the magic.